This is the Out of Time Film Podcast, where your hosts, Tom and John, discuss everything from blockbuster films to TV and games like there's no tomorrow. Hello and welcome to the Out of Time Film Podcast. My name is Tom and as always I'm joined with my co-host John. Hello. And this week we are talking about The Boy and the Heron. Yes, this is the new Ghibli film by no other than Hayao Miyazaki. So this is a film that he comes out of uh, his retirement. So we thought, oh, he's retired now. But no, he's back. He's back like John Wick. Uh, I'm thinking I'm back. Yeah. He gets out like his camera, just like (laughs) John Wick gets out his gun. He's like, one last time. (laughs) One last time. And, you know, he gets his head out and he's like, damn, I still want to make films. So yeah, that's that conflicting feeling. Like you want to continue more creating ideas. And this one was an experience. I value it so much. And it was just a film that was in the right time. I was so happy leaving the cinema. And I was like, wow, what did I just watch? And you have to process a lot of things, what happened in this film. And I got to say, this one just really blew my mind about its world building and the story that it was trying to go across with multiple themes. But this one really struck me with a lot of things which we'll go into. And the funny thing is that we watched it at 10 o'clock in the morning and yes. we were just trying to yeah wake ourselves up. So like, oh, okay, okay. We need to make me to get to the cinema. And we just got to the cinema and weren't you a bit tired though? Yes, I was. Okay, so we got out of the cinema and John was like, that was amazing. Oh my God. And I was like, yeah. And he, was, he started talking about it. And I was like, John, I have something to tell you. I literally spent the whole film trying to stay awake. And that isn't any comment on the film itself. I was just so, so very tired. I've never fallen asleep in the cinema before, but you know, after kind of like the first hour, oh, I felt my eyelids start to droop and I was like, no, no, come on, stay awake, stay awake. So, you know, I, I leant forward, I, I kept on changing my position. I'd slap myself and, but I just, I couldn't help it. And so I, I missed a good like half an hour of the film kind of on and off. So I actually had to return to it <laughs> so I could watch all the bits <laughs> that I'd missed. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay. Cause like you were talking, you were telling me so many things. And I was like, what are you on about? Like, when did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I had to go back and I was like, oh, right, okay. It's a very and trippy film when you go like, fall asleep to. You feel like, what am I watching? It is. Yeah, like, like, what did I dream and what was real? Yeah, what is reality? What is a dream? And it was just so funny that I was just talking about this film, like what it was going to. And you looked at me like, what? Did we watch the same film or something? So, yes. yeah. No, it's weird uh... because my, my parents went to see it, right? And my mum also fell asleep. My dad had to go and get huh? like a drink to keep her awake. And so it turns out that just it's just a, it's a family tradition. <laughs> People in my family yeah. just fall asleep during The Boy and the Heron at the cinema. Uh, there's one time that my mum, she fell asleep in the cinema. Really? It was when we went to see Into the Woods years, oh, years ago. Oh, right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I was watching it and my mum just woke up to the part where the giant destroys everything. And she was like, huh? What happened to the princess? Oh, what, 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 what happened? Oh my god! And she was just so confused. And then she was like, "I think I fell asleep." And the crazy thing is, how do you fall asleep in the cinema? I mean, it's dark. I, I mean, know. it's dark. I don't know. It's just like, but there's a massive screen right in front of you. Also, it's loud. Feel... Like how? Like, it's loud. 
imagine you're going to see like i used to go watch a lot of films with my grandparents and we'd see like a lot of comic book films and i remember going to see age of ultron and my grandpa just kind of fell asleep and i'm like how do you fall asleep <laughs> during like the third act of a marvel movie like <laughs> come on imagine falling asleep like to 1917 you're just like yeah exactly <laughs> Me, 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 me. And you just hear like a war going on. Uh, yeah, you just get like woken up by an explosion. And just like, ah, you're like oh, 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 okay, ah. I'm in the cinema. I'm in the cinema. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, the boy uh, and the heron. Um, the boy and the heron. Full spoilers. We won't talk about it. being sleepy here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Tell us the plot, John. Okay. Mahito, a young 12 year old boy, struggles to settle in a new town after his mother's death. However, when talking to a heron, informs Mahito that his mother is still alive. He enters an abandoned tower in search of her, which takes him to another world. Interesting. Um, Interesting. So I want to start just kind of briefly. What's your experience with Ghibli films? Like, what have you seen? What are your favorites? So I've watched three Ghibli films and I feel like I haven't watched enough. Um, yeah, I'm there's the same. A, there's loads that I want to watch, like Princess Mononoke. Howl's Moving Castle, that's one thing I need to watch as well. But I absolutely love My Neighbor Totoro, Spirited Away, and Kiki's Delivery Service. Like, those are just the ultimate vibes to watch those type of films, and I love it so much. And this one just took me somewhere. Like, it was so surreal. You could get really lost into this film with, like, a lot of detail and the really hard-hitting themes for this film that I really never seen in Ghibli films, but I have to watch more than three. I absolutely love how the film just dealt with these themes and how it explored it in such a magic realism type of way. And the music really emphasized this whole world that Mojito is experiencing. And yeah, I can't wait to talk about the themes. But what do you think, Tom? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I also have watched, I've, I've seen a couple more than you. I've seen Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo, Castle in the Sky, Whisper of the Heart. But they're definitely, yeah, like, I, I feel like one day I'll I'll watch it all, which which would be really interesting. But mm. um, there is always something about these films that they blend a dreamlike quality. You know, this kind of like yeah. surrealism and this calmness. A lot of people have... Ghibli films as their comfort movies and mm. you can definitely see why because they really do kind of exude this beauty just you know inside and I really love that and I think in this one I wasn't prepared for how heavy the themes and the content were because mm. the films that I've seen in the past you know they're not necessarily watered down there's some pretty hard-hitting stuff in there but I was I just wasn't prepared for the way that Mojito deals with his pain and that includes physical injury to himself there is a moment where he cracks a rock on his head and, you know, his head just kind of starts gushing with blood mm. and, you know, like he's doing this for all these like different reasons. And I wasn't quite, obviously, when this film was released in Japan, Maizaki was very, very, very adamant that we don't want any promotion, we don't want any advertisement. And I followed that as closely as I could. Apart from a couple of pictures, I didn't know a single thing about this. So I didn't know that it was yeah. set in, in wartime. But I think it's interesting yeah. how it's it's a manifestation of how children at that point deal with loss and grief. You know, like Mihito, he tries to be very stoic. He even wears like a little like war uniform kind of thing. The whole time he's trying to deal with his emotions by being strong, by being an adult. And I thought it was just very, very interesting to see that in such a mature way because Ghibli films are 
very, very mature. Obviously, you know, I've only seen like seven of them, but I didn't think that I could see something different. I didn't think that this would be so much more hard hitting because it's a very similar thing to Spirited Away. In Spirited Away, the main character is moving to a new place and she deals with that in a kind of like sulky, childish way. But the way that Mojito deals with it is so much different. It's a way that kind of pushes emotions down and wants this kind of release of physical pain to get himself out of situations and to also kind of try to express what he feels. And I thought that was so fascinating. Mm. And the one thing that really struck me thinking about this whole narrative and the themes, you know, what I was trying to get across. The one thing that was linking up to Mojito, that he had this whole thing to himself about the world that he's living in and he's struggling with himself, that he's trying to prove himself that he can do a whole lot of change for himself, but it's like this constant struggle for himself. Like he's trying to find the feeling for love and, you know, with his mother. And it's the idea of change as well that is scattered across the movie. It's the idea with the granduncle, you know, you get to see in the film that he's like this creator of these worlds that Mihito explores. And I absolutely love the world building in this, but I'll get to that. But with the idea of change, but also the idea of how do you find meaning in life after you suffered loss, but also with yourself, like how do you explore yourself that feeling you know you're trying to recapture again that you want to feel that sense of love and with the grand uncle he gives mihito this chance to become this creator of these worlds as well like to be this overseer but the one thing that really caught my eye for this sense of symbolism throughout the film it was the objects of these shapes that the grand uncle uses to build and it's like this balance but mihito just said there's this malice the sense that these are built on one another, that the grand uncle is just building up and it's like, is there a sense of meaning? You know, how do you find that in that? And the grand uncle's like this creator, this idea of like, you can do whatever you want, but then there could be a sense of dystopia for the other worlds as well. Like, you know, the small creatures that become people, but they get attacked by the herons or the storks, I don't know, but they get attacked by that. So it's like this world that it's a sense of malice and what Mahito has to believe in self that you can find meaning in that it's just like the idea of there's love self-love as well that he explores especially with Mahito's father Natsuko he believes that he could have this mother figure as well and I thought that was really powerful you know he has to explore these different worlds and you know we have to say that there's nothing he can change about the world that he's living in but what he can do is find meaning and it's like this thing you know with war it suffered loads of loss but there is meaning and i really like that and it should have been called how do you live because that's oh, the main yes. thing with this film that how do you find all of those meanings in life and how do you live it yeah i, I just don't understand why because the original japanese title how do you live is perfect it is exactly a representation of what the film is about of its themes and the choice to not use that is <laughs> stupid really um, it's stupid because it's called the boy in heron and it's just like it's like come on i saw someone say that the boy in the heron sounds like a childish animated film whereas yeah. how do you live sounds like something more mature and i feel like that is a perfect way to describe it because yeah like this yeah. film is so much more mature than the title the boy in the heron gives it credit for 
I think that Grand Uncle is interesting because he's a representation of the ways that one can be consumed by an idea and let it define them until they grow old. Like, he tries to impose yes. upon Mojito. Like, he doesn't understand that the things that he puts such significance on, like the balance of life, that's not what life is about. It's not about keeping that balance. The film... It asks, how do you live? And it argues that being bound up by strict rules is what kills your soul. That's what kind of yes. kills Grand Uncle, really, is that he's kind of so bound up by keeping a balance instead of experiencing things one step at a time. So many Ghibli films are a journey and we go to different like places. And that really works well because of the way that there is a contrast between Granduncle and Mojito. Mojito is, is on this journey and he's experiencing all these things and not binding himself up to what he knows. And that kind of, that changes his, his perspective, like going forward at the end. Ultimately, Mojito has to learn that growing up is coming to terms with the pain and the anger that he feels, the things mm -hmm. that consume him throughout the narrative. But he learns to live with that, and that kind of makes him the strongest that he can be. Whereas Grand Uncle, he won't experience anything else besides this one thing. He wants to stack these blocks to keep that balance, and that's all he cares about when really what life should be goes beyond that. And I think that that kind of difference between like age and youth is really interesting coming from an old filmmaker. Miyazaki has made so many films across so many years and he's seen so much and defined so many different storytellers and yet he doesn't feel out of touch. He doesn't feel like somebody of a different generation who doesn't understand. He still kind of gets it right on the pulse which yeah. I thought was brilliant <laughs> because you never want to see such auteurs lose their step. But he d he proves that even though he retired, he's still on top of his game. Yeah. And the fact that there's stories that he continues to write and it's like, there's a lot of parallels, you know, and motifs that you see in this film that can be seen across his filmography with the idea of like this journey that we're going through, but it's like a more mature journey that we're experiencing with Mihito. And, you know, like, it's like this culmination of what Miyazaki has been doing over the years, you know, with this stories and you know with the animation and you feel like that was something that it comes out with time and but it's like this idea why we love the ghibli films and it's just like this feeling of nostalgia this feeling of escapism that he creates and I really like that this was like, you know, this mature approach to that. There is a lot of mature approach in his films, but it's something that just feels so satisfying. You know, you feel so happy, you know, you've watched like Kiki's Delivery Service. That is like the ultimate comfort film. But this one for the boy in Heron, it's this existential journey. Mihito, he only wants to find his mother and go home after this whole journey. And that I thought was a really, really strong arc across the movie, you know, going back to his time and yeah, such a powerful way just to show that journey. And it's like, you have to experience this journey with him or you just feel like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what I just watched, but I need to process it. And the more you process it, it's like, wow, there's some really powerful stuff that Miyazaki has created into this film. 
Yeah, there's this ongoing thread about cycles of life, like birth and death. Like you, you, you previously mentioned the birds eating the babies in the sky, or even like the the parakeets who want to eat the humans, and the way that kind of passing back into the real world, it's almost like a rebirth of its own. Or Netsuko, who is Mahito's stepmother, her pregnancy, and how she's kind of conflicted about her own motherhood. Like th- this film kind of is is all about these cycles of life through parents and children. And it's interesting that that kind of comes to a head through Mihito and Himi, son and mother, meeting at the same age and having the opportunity to come to terms with their future and their past, you know, like where they come from and where they will go in each of their cases. And all that kind of unpacks how the characters deal with trauma and emotion throughout and you know, Himi has like these kind of like fire powers, which works as a reflection of the rage in Mojito. And through seeing each other, they can unpack how their lives will go if it's defined by that anger. And I think it's a very interesting choice to have two people come together at the same age, at the same Mm. time. And I think that's just very interesting. Again, you know, considering the trajectory of Miyazaki's films and also like, you know, the the time the film is set and the time that the film is released, like it feels like the film is just in conversation with the past and the future and the present mm. at the same time. Oh, yes, yeah, a time um, travel movie. Yeah, it's like this yeah, crazy right? time travel. It's like this closed loop that happens and it's like, oh, okay. I really love that it's just this powerful way of doing time travel, but not the same. It's cool. It's so cool. I really like that. Yeah, me too. I think that it will become timeless because of those aspects. Like, yeah, it may be set in wartime, but I feel like a lot of it's, you know, again, the relevance to today is astounding. I think it's such a brilliant film. And who even knows if this could be Maizaki's final one? But if it is, it's a pretty good final one to go out on. We watched the English dub and Oh, the like, dub. Oh, let's talk about the, this. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the this. cast yeah. is just like outstanding. I think particularly Robert Pattinson as the heron is such a like he's never done any voice work before and he just comes in and does such an unrecognizably excellent performance. Yeah, and it just completely blew my mind that he had this range in voice acting. I mean, Christian Bale is in the film as well. Florence Pugh, and it was like, oh, great. She really voice acted that. So it was really cool to see that. And there was Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe was in this film as well. And yes. Batista, Mark Hamill, Karen Fukuhara. And it's so, so Hold up, hold up. You're forgetting the goat, Gemma Chan. Oh. Gemma Chan is in it. Gemma Chan, yes. Yeah, she the plays goat. Netsuko, just like, Natsuko. absolutely. Oh. And I feel like that's kind of like the one criticism I have. This is actually what you said after the cinema. And so when I rewatched it, because as I said, I did fall asleep. <laughs> and I had this in mind. And I do think that you're right. Netsuko as a character, her role in it with her pregnancy and with her role as Mahito's stepmother, it's not as developed as it could be. Yes. And I I think it's a bit of an extra shame because Gemma Chan is the goat um, and really is a fantastic, fantastic actor who you can always give more to Gemma Chan. Yes, I agree. And I wish there was more. I mean, it was explored with the grand uncle in terms of like some really subtle stuff about him. And, you know, he's obsessed with this tower before he became the grand uncle. But I wish there was more things to explore with the grand uncle because I thought, how powerful is he? What does he do? You know, like, what is his place in this role, you know, in this world? So I agree with those two things. Oh, and the other issue was that we could have gotten more with Natsuko in the end of the film, like to wrap up, you know, this feeling for like Mahito sees her as a mother figure. And I think that there was more things to develop with that. And the film just ended 
Abruptly. It did. It just like, it just was like boom. It's boom, over okay, now. We're, Bye. We're over now. So we don't get like a nice wrap up to maybe the arcs or maybe with Natsuko and Mahito, you know, in terms of like coming to terms with it together. And yeah, it just really surprised me. I was like, oh. So yeah, there was those issues that we could explore, but the film just really took me by surprise. Like especially when we went to go into the second act, which was you know when Mahito goes to the completely different world with the phantom ships and you know like with the water, mm. and it's like meeting Florence Pugh's character that we get to see yeah. a younger version of. But I really love that introductory, you know, like this <laughs> with this the world. fish. Like, oh this, yeah. This is- this is around about the time that I started to doze off. And I just have a memory <laughs> of waking up and the fish being gutted on screen. You see like all of like the kind of like insides like coming out. And I just remember being half asleep and just looking at you and you just looking absolutely disgusted. <laughs> and then I fall asleep again. And it's like, that's the one memory that I have from the middle section of this film. Just oh, yeah, because like, it was like very graphic. It was like it very, was graphic. very graphic. Yeah, I did not expect that in the Ghibli film. Yeah, but it is still, like, I want to say it's still a PG, maybe a 12A. Like, it's not, like, R-rated or anything, which I think is interesting. And it speaks to kind of, like, the film knows that young audiences can handle heavy themes and a little bit of graphic content. It's always great when a film that animation as an art form is commonly directed towards kids. And it's great when they don't treat the kids as dumb. They don't treat audiences. You know, there are some studios that are, like making very kind of you know run-of-the-mill cookie cutter animated films for others and i would say ghibli is one of those that does challenge and does say interesting things and treat their audience as smart because kids are smart yeah and i really like how the film has a lot of like unique visual storytelling that we go through and it's like they don't point it out especially this is like you know with ghibli films they don't point it out but with the visual storytelling it's just so unique and so on point you know that you're trying to explore and that is the unique thing about Ghibli films. I watched this film and Wish pretty close together. And I can, no, it won't come as a surprise to anyone that this film was leagues ahead of Wish, which I thought was fine if anyone's interested. But we covered plenty it's like hydrogen of... bomb this and coffin baby. Coughing baby, like... yes. It was, it really was. But yeah, like last year we covered plenty of just brilliant animated things. We had Susan May, we had Cross the Spider-Verse, we had Nimona and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I think this, we're covering this in 2024, obviously, but it does kind of join the ranks of other 2023 brilliant animated classics. I'm going to give this film 9 out of 10. Brilliant. Me too. I agree. Lovely. A lovely, lovely 9 out of 10. What an excellent film. Thank you everybody for listening. If you're listening on YouTube and you enjoyed it, you can like and subscribe if you want to see more. And if you're listening on Spotify, you can follow and give us a five-star review if you think we're worthy. Next week. Oh boy. Do you know what next week is, John? Is it from the Morbius films? Oh yeah. It's Madam Uh, Web. Wow, oh, the film God. that I watched the trailer and I was this like... Is, this is your most anticipated film of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! Woo! Yeah, yeah um... Madam <laughs> Web. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you can send us an email at ourstimefilmpod.gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on Madam Web. Ask us any questions. we it right here on the podcast next week. Yeah, so you can follow <laughs> us on Instagram at outoftimefilmpod to see our incredible thumbnails from Zane Asphalt on Twitter for more thoughts from Tom and TikTok to see edited clips which are all on Instagram Reels and YouTube Shorts. And you can find links to that all in the description below. Thanks to LJ Mayor for the excellent theme and Ronan Phillips for vocals as always. And I think that's everything. Uh, and Wonderful! Wonderful! If you haven't seen it, please do. It's, yeah. it's such an amazing film. Take what you're given. Give nothing back. Goodbye. Goodbye.